channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are doing memorable mentors, and we chose Frederick Boskiet. Ed, how you doing? I'm good, Ron. What's going on? Not much. I'm so looking forward to this show. This, you know, I almost bought a dog just so I could name it Bostiet. <laughs> That'd be a great name. Wouldn't that be a great name for a dog? <laughs> that would be. Okay, come here, Bostiat. And there's like parents who are all upset because they think you're saying something else. That'd be funny. I like that. <laughs> anyway, this is this is one of my all time favorite, and I don't know what to call this guy. I mean, Joseph Schumpeter said this about him. Frederick Bastiat was the most brilliant economic journalist who ever lived. Okay. And economic journalist. That's one way to put it. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I can go with that. Or, you know, writer, obviously. But, uh, you know, it, Schumpeter didn't think much of his, his theoretical abilities, didn't think he was much of a theorist, but loved, loved uh, his argument and his writing uh, style. So, but I, I just, this is just one of my all-time favorite uh, people to read from history. I, I, I love his work. It's almost fair to say that he is like the Greg Kite of economics. Exactly. That, right? Because he's he's, yep. you could also say that he's a comedian. I, I, yes. I, I, and that's certainly something we can talk about. I actually was trying to think this morning, prepping for this show, which economist in, in any, anywhere mm-hmm. is funnier than than Bastiat, and I don't think I can I can't come up with one. No, no. There are others who have a sense of humor. I mean, Milton Friedman was was kind of funny. You know, he could or could Absolutely. be funny. Landsberg you know? can be funny. Landsberg well, is can it, be. Landsberg's pretty. Cl- he's good. He's he's yep. funny. He's he can be funny. You know, trying to throw away. Yeah, have you ever tried to throw away a recycling bin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but this guy was, I you know, just consistently funny in some of his writings and just used wit and the whole reductio ad, ad absurdum you know he was mm-hmm. a master at that mm-hmm. uh just taking things to their logical extreme and 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 showing how false they were yeah i, I mean he he's the only one because even landsberg i don't think does this but he's the only one who would go out of his way for a joke yes right yes. that's i guess that's the best way to describe it he would he would go out of his way to make 
make the joke. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, which was more important, the economics piece or the joke? Or the, joke. Uh, <laughs> the joke might might actually win out for Bastiat. That's what I appreciate about him. <laughs> Me too. I, you know, if he had, if he was alive during TV, he probably would have been on TV with you know Monty Python or something. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and so what we're saying is, and, and this it was great because we 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 decided to do this memorable mentor series based on the book series that's out by the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE. And uh, th- this is, I guess, we, we decided to do them in order by when they lived. And Bastiat was the, the first up. And I was concerned because, you know, this guy was alive from 1801 to 1850. And we can talk a little bit about that, his tragic death on Christmas Eve, 1850. But I, and I don't know whether it tr- was the translation, Ron, but this is extraordinarily accessible. It is. I think. Yep, it is. It, uh, th- there'll be some references people won't get because they were, you know, contemporary. But uh, it, he's he's a pleasure to read. Absolute pleasure to read. Yeah, and, and it's not because it's not like you're reading him going, oh well, I, you know, not not used to prose this way. But it's, I don't know, maybe uh, th- like I said, it just it it really struck me how how accessible it was. So yeah, c- compared to like somebody like reading Immanuel Kant, that it's. <laughs> He's much easier to read than oh, Kant is. Yeah. <laughs> but Eddie was an indefatigable advocate of free trade, laissez-faire policies, <clears throat> and just an unrelenting debater, statesman. He's He's been compared to Voltaire and, and Ben Franklin, by the way, because mm-hmm. of his integrity, his purity, and his elegance. Oh. Uh, just, just uh, you know, unrivaled in exposing fallacies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just a and 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 if I think you said this, we were kind of getting ready for the show earlier today. Someone you definitely want to throw down a beer with because he probably gets funnier, like the more he drinks would be yes. my guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if if I could go back and have dinner with anybody, this guy might be on the top of my list. I I just think he'd be a hoot. Uh, and what I the other thing that I really liked about him is he attacked all kinds of statism. You know, he attacked socialism and communism, but also utopianism, mercantilism, and he, you know, big, big proponent of the labor theory of value. Just thought, and we'll talk about that, and and uh, exploitation theories he, he took on pretty well, too. Um, so he, did, he attacked both sides, basically. Right. Yep. Yeah, he was definitely his own, his own brain. Uh, in this, but, uh, and, and as we said, only lived to be, to be 49. The, I guess the, the tragic story is, is that he was, uh, what was it, ele- elected to the, the National Assembly after, well, I don't know, I can't keep track of the, one of the revolutions, right? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and ended up, you know, try, tr- going on a tour of France to sell his ideas to, in the countryside and, and contracts tuberculosis. And then his doctor sends him sends him to to Italy to to recover. And I, he mm. guess I guess he gets to Pisa, and then finally on to Rome. And I guess he's, it's just getting worse, right? And he he calls his his uh, his people together that were with him, and he and utters his last words, Ron. Which I'll let you say. What was the the phrase? Oh, the, the truth. Tr- 
the, the truth. truth, the truth. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then dies. And I, when I was thinking about this, I'm like, yep, it's another doctor who killed a patient. That's what I was yeah. yeah know, bad it's, medicine, it's, right? That's bad medicine. You say, yeah, send him to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the wine did him in. Yeah. But yeah. It, yeah. He was born in on uh, June 29th, 1801, and Eddie had poor health his whole life. I guess he had yeah. weak lungs, and uh, he was born in, in um, Bayonne, right, the south of France. And yeah. uh, he was the son of a landowner and a merchant uh, who engaged in Spanish trade. But his mom died when he was seven, and his dad died when he was nine, and he w- ended up being raised by both his aunt and his grandfather, from what I understand. And uh, he was 14 when Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. And he was also Catholic. Mm. Strong well, which... in the Catholic faith. And, and that does come through in his writings. You, yes. you, you see bits of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, you do. You do. And, and I think, and, and which I think from, it shows that he was classically trained in that ilk because he does argue very much like Aquinas, right? It's very methodical. Mm. Yes, right? yes and very much and so. Example after example after example after example, just to show, you know, not only did I think about this once, I thought about it 17 times, <laughs> right? right? And, yep. and here's the 17 different ways that what I'm, what I have to tell you is true. So, And heavily influenced, uh, say, uh, Bosque it was by uh, uh, Jean-Baptiste Say, one of my all-time favorites as well, and, and Adam Smith. So mm-hmm. he was very familiar with their work. Um, and yeah, you're right. In 1846, he moved to Paris from the South of France and he began writing a lot on free trade, prolific writer, especially in the last couple years of his life, because I guess he knew the end was near. Mm. And that was actually his most prolific writing period of his life in the last two or three years, they say. Yep. Yeah. Very, very much so. And, and, and when you think about the, the, the condensed amount of time that his work was really was was released it, it really is incredible because all of it is what eight the earliest stuff is 1830 I believe you know, so, so somewhere in there yep and, and you know then he was and he was just getting started because as you said he was with his grandfather his grandfather was was uh, an heir to like own some big estate and it wasn't until I think he died that that uh, Bastiat inherited all that and said okay now that I got all this wealth now I'm gonna go I'm going to go around the countryside talking about ideas. Right, so. right. Once, he, Yeah, he failed as a farmer, you know, and, and then he, he found a love of books and, and ideas and, and writing and then made that his career. But, yeah, you're right. You know, the, the peasant revolt in France, you know, they, they re, uh, rebelled against the French monarchy. And the rallying cry was socialism. And this, how, how clever is this or how elegant is this? Bastiat says... We have tried so many things. When shall we try the simplest of all? Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> How beautiful is that? Duh. <laughs> like you can, and you can almost hear him say duh after. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was elected to the National Assembly in 1848. So it must have been after that, that rebellion. And uh, he, he was the vice president of the finance committee. Mm-hmm. Uh and he sat on the left side of the house, by the way, where the liberals and the radicals sat, because uh, he, he felt more comfortable over there attacking the, the conservatives on the right. You know, that's where we get the whole left-right split thing. Right, you know? right, from that National Assembly, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was, 
So, well, good for him. Well, at the time, he was a leftist, right? I mean, you know, compared to the, the, the conservatives of the day who were, in, in a sense, still monarchists, right? That's, yeah, and that's, mercantilists. And, and mercantilists, yep. 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 And, and, you know, um, and, and of course, that, that has all that baggage of, you know, exports are good and imports are bad and, and you know, gold is the, the way to wealth. And even elements of the labor theory of value are, are in there as well. You know, he, he did know the physiocrats and he, and he did, he, he was aligned with them on some things. I don't know if he was aligned with their theory of value though. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a bonkers theory of value, right? The, the only right. value is extracted from the land. <laughs> right. And, and, and right. I'm pretty sure Bastia didn't believe that. No. Well, that's, that's pretty clear. I mean, I, I, without him uh, in the readings that I did, I don't specifically remember him calling out the physiocrats at all. But because and they, you said so, just to give an example, and I think Rory Sutherland gives this in a video. The if you if you produced wool, you were okay. But if you knitted knitted the wool into a hat and tried to charge extra for it, you were exploiting the shepherd. Right. Right. That's the <laughs> that's the gist of it. Right. Yep. So. Right. So if you if you if you, you know, produced crops, that was okay, but if you made salad and sold it at a profit, well, then you're exploiting the farmer. So Right. And just in the last remaining minute here or so, Ed, the, the other thing I, and I was unable to find this, but you know, like you said he he passed away in 18 what was it 50, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Christmas Eve 1850 and and he moved to Paris in 46. Well, Karl Marx moved to Paris in 1843 to edit a German magazine. In fact, that's where Marx met Frederick Engels, you know, his mm-hmm. lifelong partner. Um, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't find anywhere if Bastiat had actually read Marx, like the Communist Manifesto. I, ha- I haven't seen any references to it in any of Bastiat's writing. So I would imagine he did, though, because Marx was known, mm-hmm. but I, I just couldn't find anything on that. I'm, I'm going to have to look into that more. Talk about a fascinating dinner conversation. You know, that, that would be a, an interesting conversation that the two of them ever got together. Right. Um, and it's weird because you, when you said that, when we were talking again, when we were prepping. Uh, you, it's hard to, to recognize that Bastiat was a contemporary of Marx. He just thinks, think of Marx as so much later. Yes. Um, and, and it's and, only because he lived longer, really. Is right, the deal. forty years or so. You know, Marx died in eighteen ninety something, I believe. But, but anyway, it'd be really interesting to see because I think I think Bastiat would have just torn apart Das Kapital like you wouldn't believe. Like, I would have just <laughs> loved that. That would have been that would have been worth the price of admission. But uh, well, Ed, this is flying by as normally does when we talk about stuff like this. I just I just love this guy. And, and folks, when we come back, we're going to talk. We're going to dive into these writings from this book that Ed mentioned and that we'll link to on our show notes and like to remind you you can contact ed or myself at ask tsoe at verisage.com and we will post all of our show notes at the soul of enterprise.com and now we want to hear from our sponsor leading results Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. 
We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're doing memorable mentors and we're profiling uh what i just think is a great economist or journalist whatever you want to call him frederick bastiat and who Karl Marx labeled, Ed, the most superficial apologist of the vulgar economy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So there there yeah. you go. <clears throat> yeah, tag, if, 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 I, if I represent the vulgar economy, I'll accept, accept that crown with, without hesitation. So bring it on, Karl. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and and like you said, Ed, this this uh, we got the inspiration for this uh, this particular author from uh, the uh, what is it the Freedom of Economic Education Foundation F- for Economic Foundation Education. sorry F-E-E. Foundation yep, yep. yeah uh, yep. and they've got three is it three or four Ed uh, ebook series that you can get for free I think it's five or six oh, it's five uh, or six authors. wow yeah yeah okay yeah so we're yeah, going to try and. We try and get all of them in. I was just going to say because I think it's uh, Hazlitt, Henry Hazlitt, Hayek, Leonard Reed, um, Mon- Mises. Yep. Hayek. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Excellent. Well, that's interesting because Hazlitt, of course, is uh, kind of known as the you know the modern day uh, version of Bastiat. Although I'm not sure he is he was anywhere near as funny. <laughs> no. But. But he was certainly a prolific writer and very good uh, journalist at explaining uh, economic concepts, you know, for, for the average person. Yes, yes. And that's, we'll, we get to Hazlitt. That's what you'll see is that he took, he took Bastiat's idea and then just applied it to, to today's marketplace, which is but, – but – and let's go back. And this is, it, Bastiat is incredibly prescient when it comes to the, the ideas of what we see. And uh, I'm going to jump in, Ron, and, and on the, the first – book or work of his that we're going to talk about is his essay to the youth of France. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought this was just an outstanding summarization of 
the position that you know we must have government because I you know I deal with people all the time from a libertarian perspective. People are like you know well we got to have government right because you know and th- and to me this gets to what what's we've we've talked about before the unicorn argument right right but, but this this really summarizes this he says you know about about entrusting entrusting people in government with the right power for if you entrust men with arbitrary power you must first prove that these men are molded from different clay than the rest of us. That they, unlike us, will never be motivated by inevitable principle of self-interest. And when they are placed in a situation where there can be no position restraint upon them or any resistance to them, their minds will be exempt from error, their hands free from greed, and their hearts from covetousness. Covetousness. Good luck (laughs) with that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if if we're not if we're not capable of governing ourselves, who who among us can govern others? Mm-hmm. Yep, and and that I think he just he said it so succinctly and well. Hence, the American ideal of the limitations on the power of government, and uh, we're we're seeing that we we totally need that today, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely, I, I I love that in that in the Youth of France uh, essay that he wrote. He said, "Are men's interests, when left to themselves, harmonious or antagonistic?" And then he, he spent some time, you know, drawing the distinction between that. But I love what he said. He said, "Socialism, like astrology and alchemy, proceeds by way of imagination, whereas political economy is more like astronomy and chemistry, which proceeds by way of observation." Mm-hmm. In other words, one's grounded in, you know, dreams that aren't practical, mm-hmm. utopia, and the other is we're actually observing reality here on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I th- he w- and he was just, just, just great at pointing those contradictions out that, hey, you know, you, you, we, this, we're, we're, we're talking about the real life situation. These guys are talking about some, some utopia that can't possibly be. Yeah. And and when he challenged and when the socialists challenged him on, oh, well, you can't leave men to themselves because it won't be harmonious. What about evil? What about pain? And he said, well, who's denying evil? Who's denying pain? Who could? You know, we're talking about mankind here. He right. said, but for the laws of providence to be harmonious, it's not necessary that they exclude evil. Right. And mm-hmm. very Kantian here, I thought, he said, since man is free, he can choose. And since he can choose, he can err. And since he can err, he can suffer. Mm-hmm. So, so, of course, there's going to be issues. But the question is compared to what? And comparing it to a perfect utopia is just that, that is based on imagination. Correct. Correct. And this is the quote that I wrote down similar in that same passage that you're, you're talking about. The economists observe man, the laws in his nature, the relations derived from these laws, the socialist conscious society and their imagination, then conceive of humanity to fit this society. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, which, which it, you know, that, that, that to me is the crux of it, right? It, and and uh, for those of you who haven't heard us talk about the, and, and I forget who posited this, the parable of the unicorn. It's like, well, I, you know, I think we should have our mass transit should be powered by unicorns because after you know, you know, unicorns fart gases that get rid of global warming and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and they, they, they eat sunshine and rainbows and, and, and can travel at near the speed of light. And if we were to, to power our mass transit by them, how much better things would be. Um, and you might point out to me, but Ed, there's no such thing as unicorns. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and and I'll say, no, 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 we can conceive of it because if you and I, Ron, close our eyes and we both think of what a unicorn looks like, we're probably going to think of a white horse with a horn on top, right? Yeah. So we we can conceive of it, right? Uh, so they are not imaginary. They're real in that sense. And I think that's what far too many people do with government, right? Yeah. They posit it. They posit it as this this unicorn. Well, it's just if we just had the right people, if we just had better people, if if Obama weren't the president, if Trump weren't the president, if our state senators, if our federal senators were just better people, then everything would be okay. Right. And they just completely hold on to that 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 notion. And, and ignore the reality of the situation in front of them. And Bastiat was just an absolute master at pointing that out. And, and I think it's an excellent segue to the second piece in this in this book. But um, just one more thing that struck me too, Ed, about the youth of France, where he says, what are the things men have right to impose upon another by force? And he says, I know of only one, and that's justice. And I thought yeah. that was very well put. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So so that kind of what you just said kind of leads us to the second sec section of this book, and that is his essay, What is Seen and What is Not Seen. Yes, yes. Uh, or in, in French, I'll say it in French, Ron, so to make it, make oh, it seem official. Even All right. better. Yep. Ce qu'on va et ce qu'on ne voit pas. How is that? Pretty good, huh? Very good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> wow. I'm impressed. It's like having yeah, Paul O'Byrne around. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ed, I'll, I'll let you, he, he talks about the broken window fallacy in here, and I'm going to let you explain that. But w what I love about this essay, he starts out by saying the difference between a good and a bad economist, and this is the whole difference, is the bad <laughs> yep. one takes account of the visible effect. The good one takes account both of the effects which are seen and also those which are necessary to foresee. So it's kind of, you know, the seen and the unseen. But when he talks about the broken window fallacy, explain that. Well, and it's interesting because th this broken windows fallacy it has morphed. In fact, when I read this one with Basiat, I realized that I had never really read this original one because all right. of the ones that I had read were variations on this. Mm -hmm. So Bastiat's own one talks about a, a, a shopkeeper when his son uh, breaks it, breaks the glass in the window, breaks a, a square of the glass in the window, right? And they and they're you know appalled by this, or he's appalled by this. But then some spectators come by and say, "Well, wait a minute, this is this is this is okay because now the the glazier has work, right? Because we need we need to fi fix the glass, uh, and therefore we're going to pass this along to the 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 glazier, and he's going to have work, and he's going to uh, have to to uh, create a new window for you so now the economy is moving again right yep money circulating uh, and all that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that the the person who said this i just in my mind i imagine him and his his name is paul k right <laughs> just little right that's just <laughs> paul k said yep. <laughs> that i yep. this is great <laughs> <laughs> A uh, little inside joke there. Those of you that get that, you can you know comment on the on the show notes and, later. And that's but, certainly 
that's certainly the scene effect, right? I mean, yeah, right, that's the scene effect, the, the, right? That's, yep. So that's the scene effect that he that he's got, and and great, the glazier has 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 uh, has work, but <clears throat> the shopkeeper goes, well, no, you idiot, because I had planned to buy a suit today, right? And the tailor was going to have work, and if my stupid son here didn't break the window, then our town would, I would still have my original window, the tailor would have work. I would have a new suit and there would and the and the economy would still be improved and we would still have all, we would have all of those things in place. Right. And that's that's the piece that which is unseen, right? The unseen piece is what would the shopkeeper have done with the money had his his idiot son not broken it. Right. And I just, I just love that. I mean, you know, he, he also talks about, it's almost on this uh, difference between seen and not seen. He says, almost always happens when immediate consequence is favorable, the ultimate consequences are fatal. <laughs> you know, and, and he's really right about that, right? We, we can go do something really stupid and, and overindulge, drink too much, gamble too much, whatever it is, but we'll pay the consequences later, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he's talking about. You got to foresee what's what's going to happen here. And he says we only learn these lessons from two masters: experience and foresight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love how he says experience teaches effectually, but brutally. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and then just and then just how funny this guy was taking this. You know, this is the reductio ad absurdum argument of this. He says, but. If this broken window was true, if that's really going to make the town more prosperous, he said, well, then, you know, how much trade would we gain by the burning of Paris? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. So no, it's just, and just really things. stuff. Yep. And, and, it, and uh, yeah, and he, he, he just, it, it, then he goes on, and we're, we're up against a break here, but, uh, but then he goes on to just apply this in, what, seven or eight different scenarios? Yeah, at least. Yes. And, and and they're they're each of them almost more absurd than the other. But as you're reading them, you know what's coming. <laughs> you, you know you know what's coming in every single one. <laughs> and he just sets you up the the entire time. But well, we we're again flying by. We've got a couple of more essays that we're going to talk about, including two that are hysterically funny. And I'm going to read some passages from. The, the one, the candlestick makers a petition against the sun. Wait till you hear this one, folks. But right now we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or myself at Ask Verisage. I'm sorry, ask TSOE at Verisage.com. That's ask TSOE at Verisage.com. Our website is thesoulofenterprise.com where we have show notes from all hundred plus shows that we've done, as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now we want to hear from our sponsor. Thanks. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. When we disapprove of government support, we are supposed to be disapproved of the thing itself whose support is discussed and to be enemies of the, every kind of activity because we desire to see those activities on the other one hand free and the, on the other not seeking their own reward of themselves. Thus, if we say that the state should not interfere with taxation in religious affairs, we are atheists. If we think the state should not interfere by taxation in education, we are hostile to knowledge. This is one of my favorite sections, Ron, where he's talking about it's t- effectively taxation. And there's more on taxation in the last essay, which we're going to talk about later, which is called The Law. But this is where he's really setting up this whole notion. And, and this is just a great quote. We hear this all, all the time. This is the, the my, every libertarian's old nightmare is, you know, but what about the roads? Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> who will build the roads? <laughs> Who will build the roads? That's right, because we're I imagine farmers and merchants, you know, well, I have these crops here, and I really wish I could sell them to other people. If only a government would come along and build roads for me. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. But so, it, to, and, and I think that is so true. I, and this is the immediate reaction that I get from 99 out of 100 people will say, especially if I say something like, well, I don't, you know, why should we be paying for education? Oh, you want kids, you know, you want kids growing up uneducated. Right, right. No, yep. no I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I know he does a he does a great job with that too, and he gives lots of examples: health and the arts. And oh, you're mm-hmm. a philistine; you don't want to subsidize the arts, you know. And it's like, oh, it's just really, really very logical. Mm-hmm. The other thing in that in that same essay, Ed, section eighty, talks about machinery, and mm-hmm. you know, he yep. says a curse on machines <laughs> is to curse the spirit of humanity. And he's yeah. kind of talking about the Luddites here, I guess, or just people against machines because how it displaces labor. And he says, but if that's true, there's no activity, prosperity, wealth, or happiness possible for any people except those who are stupid and inert and to whom God has not granted the fatal gift of knowing how to think, to combine, and to invent. So kind of like Gilder, he's saying 
this is what we do. We create in the image of our creator. We'll always find something to do. And what what I love is he gives an example of uh, a capitalist who employs two workers, but then he finds a machine that can displace one of them. And, yes. of course, you know, you, the, what's seen here is, of course, the guy gets fired and the job's lost, blah, blah, blah. But he says, but what's unseen is, yeah, there's an unemployed worker, but there's also a capitalist with an unemployed franc, mm-hmm. an unemployed dollar. That yep. he's not going to sit there. He's going to go do something else with it and probably hire maybe one or two more people. So mm-hmm. he, he concludes by saying, what is saved by one profits all. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. Yeah. No, it, it, it's really, it's great. I think he, at the end he's of that, that section, he says, first it is true, the capitalist, the inventor, the first who succeeds in using the machine, right? This is the reward of his genius and courage. In this case, we have, as we have just seen, his effects on saving upon the expense of production, which in whatever way may be spent, because it's always spent. And I think that's the objection, by the way. A lot of people say, no, 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 he put it in his pocket. That's what he did with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? He went and bought it's, a boat. He, he, he bought a boat with, you know, for, the foreskin of, uh, of, of, of a sperm yeah. whale for seats. <laughs> right? Right? And, well, anyway, back to the quote. Employs exactly as many hands as the machine caused to dismiss. But soon, competition obliges him to lower his prices in proportion to the saving itself. And then it is no longer the inventor who reaps the benefit of the invention. It is the purchaser of what is produced, the consumer, the public, including the workmen, in a word, mankind. And I just love that. I do too. Love that. He he equated (laughs) the consumer with mankind. And it didn't care about the producer. Everybody thinks capitalists are all about the business or big business. They're not. They're Mm -hmm. (laughs) pro-consumer. Because we're all consumers, you know, sure, we're all producers too, but we're all much more consumers. Um, So the third essay in this book, Ed, is The Petition. This is probably what he's most famous for. So explain (laughs) what the candle makers were petitioning the government for. Right. And begging our our listeners' indulgence, and I know, Ron, you're not a big fan of reading, but and I've read a lot today, but I'm going to, I have to read this. this you have to with this guy because he's so eloquent. <laughs> okay. So, so, so here, here we go. We candle makers are suffering from the unfair competition of a foreign rival. It, they're huge. They're huge, Ron. It's huge, this rival. <laughs> this foreign manufacturer of light has as much of an advantage over us as he floods our domestic markets with the, with his product and he offers it at a fantastically low price. The moment this foreigner appears in our country, all our customers desert us and turn to him. As a result, an entire domestic industry is rendered completely stagnant. And even more, since the lighting industry has countless ramifications with other native industries, they too are injured. The foreign manufacturer who competes against us without mercy is none other than the sun itself. Because <laughs> this is the candlestick makers. <laughs> so Dang please, that sun! <laughs> please pass a law ordering the closing of all windows, skylights, shutters, curtains, and blinds. <laughs> <laughs> now that uh, is brilliant that is just 
brilliant. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, and, and it and it just it, it's so concise and so damning. Yet, what? What did Karl Marx say? <laughs> vulgar <laughs> capitalism, vulgar, <laughs> vulgar <laughs> economy, or something. Yeah, vulgar economy. <laughs> there you go, that, right that, there. That is that is I think is probably his most famous essay. And folks, we'll uh, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. I mean, it is it is really really worth reading it if you would have done that with a more donald trump voice that would have been perfect (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a good i don't do a good trump but yeah that would i mean exactly right oh well you have four years to to perfect uh, trump so i i have i have high hopes (laughs) (laughs) so the fourth essay is and it's like one page or something or two pages very very short really short but it is, it, and it is my favorite. I have to say, it is is incredible. But it's called the negative railroad. What is a negative railroad? No, no, I'm going to turn it on you because this is your favorite. You explain the negative railroad. Okay. Well, he read about somebody who was arguing that you know, on the railroad from Paris to Spain, that there should be a break in the tracks at uh, Bordeaux, right? Mm-hmm. Because that would be profitable for boatmen and porters and hotels and taverns and restaurants, right? People get off and they, you know, may, may even stay the night, something like that. And so, just again, this guy is just brilliant at this whole reductio ad absurdum argument. He's saying, well, if that's the case, then, you know, <laughs> we should have brakes in the track all the way down the line. It should stop everywhere. And he said, we shall end by having a railroad composed of a whole series of brakes in the tracks. That is a negative railroad. <laughs> and I was thinking about this as I was flying home last night from Minnesota. You know, I probably passed through five states. That airline, that airplane should have had to stop in all five states. I, I would have got out, got a grab, grabbed a bite to eat, mm-hmm. you know, got a drink, made every, I mean, we'd be awash in prosperity. It's absurd yep. because, again, it's mm-hmm. in such an inconvenience to, you know, our our time and labor. You know, we all try and do more with less. Mm. <laughs> and that's, I think, what, you know, is one of the points he's making here. But that, that the whole idea of a negative railroad, just that's a crack up. Yes, it, yes, it is. And you, you, maybe some of our listeners, if they haven't tuned us out already, I know your brother's been gone about a half hour, right? He's, you know, if he listened to the first 15 minutes of this, I'd be surprised. But anyway, um, <laughs> if you're still with us here, it, this still happens today. It's like, well, this is, you know, for a guy, guy from 1850. If any of you might remember, in, in, in the United States, there was a thing I think passed in 1972 or something called the Wright Amendment. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jim Wright, the Speaker of the House, that that forced every plane that didn't take off from Dallas Fort Worth Airport in the state of Texas had to either land in the state of Texas itself or in a neighboring state. In other words, I couldn't fly from an airport in it the, the, from Love Field and fly to. I could only fly to other places in Texas or to Oklahoma, Louisiana, or New Mexico. Right. That's right. it. Right, so I couldn't fly to Denver, right, it, or um, Arkansas too is on there, and so you know you you think that this stuff doesn't happen, but it does. I mean, like, that's the, it's it's the same thing. This guy Jim Wright was trying to create a negative airline. That's what they were doing yep. in order to protect his constituencies and American Airlines. So when in the in the building of uh, uh, and opening of DFW, that's that's all it was. It's the same thing. 
And Ed, didn't that just get kind of sort of recently repealed, the right amendments? Yeah, it was uh, was a little over a year ago, I think. Um, I mean, that's absurd. We've been, you know, we've been (laughs) regulatory free in the airline industry since CAB was dismantled, you know, Civil Civil Aeronautics Board in 78 or something. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, nope. nope, not, another- not the right amendment. Yep, took however long to do yeah. that. And oh, and 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 by the way, Southwest Airlines, which flies out of Love Field, had sure. ran a great a great series of ads. If I find, I'll, I'll try to to put one up if I can find it on YouTube. But uh, you know, the, the 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 ad was was you know the, the shots of all these happy people sitting around a, the the the. the waiting to board a plane right Right. and the beatles all you need is love playing in the background (laughs) (laughs) and the end of the commercial is like bye bye right amendment (laughs) excellent oh geez yeah so the the whole negative railroad thing that is just saying that of course i'm thinking about the bullet train here in california and what a you know what a fiasco that is and i wonder if they're gonna have it stop every three minutes uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yep. you know and and uh, i know we got to take a break here but uh when we come back folks we're going to dump uh, get into the the fifth essay and the last one in this particular book and then talk about a couple of his other writings and in the meantime i'd like to remind you if you want to get a hold of ed or myself you can email us at ask tsoe at verisage.com and please uh, check check us out on iTunes and give us a review. That that really helps the currency of the show and helps us get good guests. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are talking about economic funny man frederick bastia 
That's what I'm calling him, Ron. Economic funny, economic funny man. Uh, you know, I, I do want to jump back quickly because there is something that I, I highlighted here and circled four times. And then in our in my zeal, as we were talking about other things, I missed it. And this is back in in one in the uh, that which is unseen essay. Mm-hmm. He he makes this great point, and I just love this. He says <clears throat> um, he he's talking about the di- the difference between uh, cash and 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 in in the and the thing in borrowing and credit, right, right, uh, right. Yep. And he and he says this: the first the first is done to to confuse cash with produce, then paper money with cash, and from these two confusions is to pretend that a, that a reality can be drawn. For when a farmer borrows fifty francs to buy a plow, it is in reality the fifty is it is in reality the fifty francs which are lent to him, but the it is not. I'm sorry, it is not the fifty francs which is lent to him, but the plow. Right, right, right. And when merchant, when a merchant borrows twenty thousand francs to purchase a house, it is not the twenty thousand francs that which he owes, but the house. And I thought when I read this, I thought this is exactly what Reginald Lee was talking about, wasn't it? Right, it was this yep. the, the, this notion of of accountants and, and, and confusing uh, cash with the thing, yep. right? Absolutely. And, and, and look, and this this comes comes down to the, the heart of the matter, which is, and, and although he did not say the term, uh, Bastiat wrote eloquently about about something you and I talk about all the time, and that is opportunity cost. Right? It's yeah. not the actual cost; it's the opportunity, opportunity cost. cost. What what could be done, not what did you actually do. Yep, no, great point. And you know, the last essay in this book Ed, is the law, and it's probably one of it's probably his most famous. It's I think it's certainly the longest in the book. Um, and I just love how it, it near the beginning he says, "Life, liberty, and property do not exist because man have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life, liberty, and property existed beforehand that caused men to make laws in the first place." Yep, and I just love Brilliant that. Stuff. And, yep. and 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 I tell you, Ron, that that I I kind of cheated. I was running out of time on this, and I had I have read the law before. I have a little book that I've I've, I've read it's from uh, Liberty uh, Libert- Libertas Institute, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I also want to point out, and this is also from Libertas Press, uh, and I'll, we'll post we'll post links to this. If those of you who are interested, there is a great series of books by uh, Connor Boyack, B O Y A C K. Hmm. And uh, to to prefer this, I read the Tuttle Twins learn about the law, and it's a children's book <laughs> version okay, yeah. of of the law. And you know, it's it's, it's great because he's like, okay, yep, got it down there. The, the law, we have a conscience. Stealing is always wrong. True laws protect people, and then we have rights. Our rights came from God. Bad guys can be in government, and we should help people. That's the. <laughs> That's what the that's what the kids learn in this book. I'm like, eh, it summarizes it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's very good. And and Ed, there's something else he says in here in this law essay. He says, look at the USA. Now this would have been close to 1850. There's no country in the world where the law is kept more within its proper domain. Boy, would he be surprised today. Uh, the protection of every person's liberty and property. He says, but there are two issues that have always endangered the public peace. He's talking again about the United States. Slavery is a violation yep. by law of liberty and tariff, of course, which is you know, what we uh, used to run our government back then, uh, is a violation of property. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really prescient of him to, to point to those two things and, and say, you know, these are issues. 
mm-hmm. and and like most economists or moral philosophers of his day, like Adam Smith and others, you know, he was he was anti-slavery. That needs to be said. You know, that's something I think that the economists can point to with with a lot of pride that they have yes. a, a, a long pedigree, um, you know, of being anti-slavery. In fact, that's why Thomas Carlyle, the anti-capitalist uh, British historian, called it the dismal science because he was pro-slavery. You know, quite a racist guy, and that's why he labeled them the dismal science. But um, of course, Ed, we've talked about other funny things Bastia has said, like you know, if exports are good and imports are bad, then the sea, sh- the ships, uh, you know, should sink at sea, right? We should. Right. <laughs> uh, but he. Also oh, by the wrote- way, by the way, Ron, I saw heard this today. They're not calling it. Trump does not want to put tariffs on. It's not tariffs. Did you hear this? Uh, no. It's 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 a border tax, Ron. Oh, okay. It's a border tax. It's a border tax. Yeah, it's great. a border tax. It's not a tariff. Not a, ta- play- not a tariff. They're playing with the language, Ed. They're playing with the language. <laughs> he, along with his candle petition, the candle maker's yep. petition that you read, and I'm not going to read from the. I'm just going to read the syllogism from this. He also wrote a petition, uh, or uh, an article called "The Right Hand and the Left." a report to mm-hmm. the king, and he said, deep study of the protectionist system has revealed to us this syllogism. The more one works, the richer one is. So there's the labor theory of value, right? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> the more difficulties one has to overcome, the more one works. Ergo, the more difficulties one has to overcome, the richer one is. He said, so I propose to you that you forbid your loyal subjects to use their right hands. <laughs> he wanted to amputate everybody's right hand. It would take twice as long to do everything, and then we'd be awash in prosperity. And I took this, and I wrote an article back when I reached to write for Hardcore Brace, a newsletter, Zalan Boris's newsletter. And, and it was, a, it was a, a report to the managing partners of firms, and I was suggesting they, they cut off all their team members' right hands because, you know, now it's going to take us twice as long to do all the accounting work and you'll, billable hours will be way up. And, you know, Boris <laughs> uh, loved it, but I, I don't know how well it was read, but uh, it, it, it made me feel really good. So I, I directly lifted that from Bastiat. But, but here's how he ends this report to the king. He says, it's no longer permissible to work. He said, and, and then you could go further. He said, by issuing a, another edict, it's no longer permissible to work except with the foot. As a last resort, we should take recourse to the limitless possibilities of amputation. <laughs> now, when I, when I read this, and I, I found this back in 97 or something, I couldn't believe how, how applicable this was to the whole billable hour and, mm-hmm. oh boy, if we work more, you know, it will be worth more and the price will be higher. And he just he just destroys it, and uh, he, he was so good. You know, I think he had a lot to do with killing protectionism, and and, and to some extent, you know, putting a dent in socialism with his ridicule. Um, and I just I just really admire that about the guy. No, I I, ha- I have to admit it's it was a joy prepping for this show and and rereading some of these things uh, and and reading some things for the fir- for the first time as well. Uh, he, he I, it's laugh out loud funny. I'm sorry, it's laugh out loud funny. Some of this stuff, it and is. and it, you would you wouldn't think it coming from somebody who's a an economist and b who is whose dates are 1801 to 1850. But man, man, great stuff. Just great stuff. He gave he gave advice to a a, a journal editor and magazine editor, and he said, you know, 
when you write about affairs, make sure you keep, uh, you know, <laughs> you keep the uh, consumer's interest, um, you know, at, at the heart of everything because consumption is the end of all economic activity. Production is merely the means, right? So he equated consumers with mankind. And, and, but he also did this, Ed. He said, and I, I thought this was really profound too, because we do this all the time. He said, people insist it's not enough to tear down. You must offer something constructive. He said, I, for my part, think that to tear down an heir is to build up the truth that stands opposed to it. So, you know, if we take down an idea like performance appraisals or something like that, people say, well, what are you going to replace it with? Well, we think tearing it down is good enough. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I like yeah. the way he said that, you know, is to build up the truth that stands opposed to it. So mm -hmm. I, I thought that was really clever. Yeah, this this guy was was really great, folks. And we will post the full show notes and, and get the book uh, that you can download for free. And you can get it in Kindle version, too. Right, Ed? You can get actual Moby file. if You oh, You can get a Moby. You get the Moby file. And then you just need the little send to Kindle app that is available for free on the website of Amazon. So, yes. So right. uh, to that end, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Uh, we have got, we're going to do a show reappraising the annual performance appraisal. We did a show on this, uh, I think in our first year, but there's been mm -hmm. so much activity surrounding this. We thought we'd bring it back. So, uh, we're going to take another look at that, Ed, and take a look at some of the companies that have uh, gotten rid of it. Outstanding. Well, I'll see you in 157 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can listen to all of our shows uh, going all the way back. And uh, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.